You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Pete Wilmoth. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's February 28th. Since 2014, Russia has undertaken a wide range of subversive activities intended to influence the domestic politics of the United States and its partners and allies. This includes Russia's reported attempts to interfere in the 2020 presidential election, which made headlines this week. A new RAND paper traces the origins of Russia's subversive activities and examines how and why Moscow engages in military, economic, information, cyber, and political subversion. The authors find that Russia's tactics are not driven by a single organizing principle, and there is significant uncertainty about when and to what extent Russian subversion is effective. The authors also explore potential ways that Washington could respond. The U.S. should begin by undertaking efforts to better understand the effectiveness of Russian subversion, they say. Additionally, rapid attribution is critical. Quickly assigning blame to Russia for its subversive action makes covert activities overt activities and makes it harder for Russia to deny its actions. Hundreds of thousands of people with serious mental illnesses cycle in and out of American jails every year. By any number of measures, costs, health outcomes, recidivism rates, the system is failing. Take the story of Tanya Beverly. She thought she could communicate with her television. She heard birds and dogs finishing her thoughts for her. One bad decision to go without her medication, and Beverly ended up in a Los Angeles County jail, just one of more than 5,000 people in L.A. County jails who are in mental health housing units or taking psychotropic medicines. But county jails simply aren't equipped to be treatment centers or to operate with long-term mental health care in mind. That's why a recent RAND study explored another option, moving people like Beverly into supportive housing or community treatment programs. Our findings show that, in L.A. County jails alone, more than 3,300 people could be better served by receiving treatment elsewhere. L.A. County has already started to implement these programs. 300 people have been diverted from jail into a supportive housing program. Our assessment found that 91% of those who had been moved were still in stable housing after six months, and 74% were still there after 12 months. While it's still too early to declare the program a success, the data is promising. As for Tanya Beverly, her future is also showing promise. As one of the people released into supportive housing, she was able to get the treatment she needed. And now she's thriving living in an apartment east of downtown Los Angeles, cooking her own meals, doing her own laundry, and taking her medicine twice a day. I'm in a very good state of being, she says. I only entertain good thoughts now. Leave the bad thoughts alone. The first supervised drug consumption site in the U.S. will open in Philadelphia next week. This moment comes after a two-year legal battle that ended this past Tuesday, when a U.S. district judge issued a final ruling that the facility does not violate federal drug laws. Supervised drug consumption sites, also called safe injection sites, allow people who use heroin and other drugs to do so under medical supervision. According to RAND research, approaches like this that are both innovative and controversial may be one way to reduce the staggering number of overdose deaths we've seen in recent years. 
In 2017, for instance, there were more than 47,000 fatal overdoses involving opioids in the U.S. As Rand's Bill Kilmer puts it, limiting policy responses to existing approaches will likely be insufficient and may condemn many people to early deaths. However, the scientific evidence about the effectiveness of supervised drug consumption sites is limited in quality and in the number of locations that have been evaluated. So, while it is a policy option that should be considered, there is a wide range of issues for decision-makers to evaluate when implementing them. Ten years of on-and-off talks between the U.S. and the Taliban have finally produced a tentative first step towards stability in Afghanistan, an agreed-upon but unsigned peace deal. But there's still a lot that could go wrong, says Rand's James Dobbins. The proposed ceasefire, for example, might not hold, even for one week and the intended prisoner exchange between the Taliban and the Afghan government might not be completed. And even if these obstacles are avoided, it could be several months before negotiations between the Afghan government and the Taliban begin. Once the talks do start, the obstacles get even tougher. Both parties will have to show more ingenuity and flexibility than they ever have before. And as for the U.S., Washington must avoid past mistakes it's made in the face of other post-war security challenges, most notably in Afghanistan in 2002 and in Iraq in 2003. Insurgent wars are endurance tests, says Dobbins, but so are the negotiations that sometimes succeed in ending them. Last summer, the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence issued a public call for creative ideas about how the U.S. would maintain global leadership in a future enabled by artificial intelligence. And RAND researchers stepped up to the challenge. More than a dozen experts drafted 10 insightful essays that covered a lot of ground. They wrote about how AI might affect the nature of war, the threat of mass social manipulation, how to recruit cyber and AI talent, the potential for humanitarian applications of AI, and much more. You can find a complete rundown of the essays on the RAND blog. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. See you next week.